This morning's reading is Psalm 131 and can be found on page 625 of the Church Bibles. 625. Psalm 131, a song of ascents of David. My heart is not proud, O Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have stilled and quietened my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Let's ask for God's help as we think on this psalm. We just sung those words, our Heavenly Father, how great is our God. And we pray, Father, you give us a sense of your greatness this morning as we think on whom we're waiting. But also, Father, give us a sense of realism about ourselves. So we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We said last week, didn't we, that we're thinking over these couple of weeks about Advent, and Advent is all about waiting. But we said, didn't we, that actually in our society today, with its Amazon Prime and instant streaming and um, instant credit, actually waiting is not our natural instinct. Waiting is often seen as bad, Instant is seen as good. And that presents a challenge, doesn't it? Because we know that the Christian life is all about waiting. I just did a quick search on waiting in the New Testament, and here's some of the verses uh, that came up. Romans chapter 8 tells us that we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship. Or Titus says this, we wait for the blessed hope the appearing of the glory of a great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Or how about this from Hebrews? Jesus will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. See, another way to talk about a Christian is someone who is waiting for the Lord's return. Waiting is the hallmark of the church. But if you're anything like me, you just scratch your head and think, what on earth does that look like? I mean, how am I meant to be waiting for the Lord? I mean, I've got things to do, bills to pay, children to bring up, jobs to do, Christmas decorations to put out. And how do I wait when I've got other goals I might want to achieve in my life, a career, a relationship, a house? And why, more fundamentally, and maybe we're asking this question, why on earth would we put our focus on there rather than the here and now? Well, this psalm before us is all about how to wait, as Matt has introduced us uh, to this morning. Uh, You'll see in verse 3 that this is really the aim of the psalm. Uh, The psalmist wants Israel, the God's people, 
to put their hope in the Lord, or, or, or the word there is wait on the Lord, both now and forevermore. And in these two verses that come before, we see what that looks like, how we're to wait on the Lord. And we're going to see the real reason we don't wait. Uh, we're going to see the real reason we should wait. And then thirdly, and more practically, how we might wait well. That first point then, the real reason we don't wait. You'll notice that the psalm, it's slightly different to the other ones. It's called a song of ascents, uh, sung as pilgrims went up to Jerusalem. But it's called a psalm of David as well. Now, that could mean David himself wrote it, or it could mean it's about David. But either way, verse 1 is not what you would expect from a king. David says, My heart is not proud, O Lord. My eyes are not haughty. See, kings in the ancient world, if they were one thing, it was proud. It was haughty, or their eyes lifted up. And no one would expect otherwise. See, kings were as close as you could get to a god. They were seen as a kind of bridge between heaven and earth. And so to be a king gave you a license to pride. But David here is different. He says, my heart is not proud, O Lord. My eyes are not haughty, not lifted up. Or as we might say, he's got his feet firmly on the ground. What's that look like? Well, he says, I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful. Now, those words there, great matters and things too wonderful, uh, as you look through the Old Testament, you realize that actually they're words used of God's actions. You may remember that the word wonders is used in Exodus uh, about God sending the plagues on Egypt. And so when David says, I do not concern myself with them, he's not saying, look, I'm purposely being stupid here. He's not saying, look, I'm inadequate to to grasp big, big things. He's saying, look, I'm not trying to do your work, God. I'm not trying to be God. See, kings in the ancient world were almost like God-like, or at least they pretended to be. Here's a uh, you'd probably just make it out a relief or a kind of um, carving of uh, one of the Assyrian kings. And you'll see the Assyrian king sat on the throne there with all these people waiting on him. Uh, I think that's oil being anointed. And uh, as you look out on this relief, I, I didn't include it all because it would have been too small to see. But you'll see all these people come into, sorry, all these people come into this king because that's kind of what a king was. You worship them. You serve them. And um, you see this in the book of Isaiah as God speaks to one of the kings of Assyria. He says this, I will punish the king of Assyria for the willful pride of his heart and the haughty look in his eyes. Notice that language. For he says, by the strength of my hand, I have done this. And by my wisdom, because of I have understanding, I've removed the boundaries of the nations, I've plundered their treasures. Like a mighty one, I subdued their kings. You hear that language? Me, I've done it. And God goes on to say, does the axe raise itself above the person who swings it? 
or the sore boast against the one who uses it. In other words, it is completely foolish thinking because God wields the axe. It's as crazy to boast in your abilities, God says, as my hacksaw at home thinking it runs the house because it's used to cut some wood. And so here's how David waits on the Lord, completely countercultural to the kings around him. It starts with knowing his place. It starts with knowing that he is completely dependent on God. Now, when I looked at this, I thought to myself, is there not a more countercultural verse in the whole Bible? I mean, this just runs complete opposite to the way we're kind of set up to think, isn't it? See, so often we've moved, I think, as a culture away from God, not just because of intellectual objections, sure that's got a, a place, but perhaps more significantly, because we're now a society that doesn't feel we need God. We don't need the status of being made in the image of God, because we can get our status from our work, or from a relationship, or a, a bank balance. We don't need to depend on God in the same way, day by day, because, well, we've got modern medicine. We can just write a prescription. We don't. How many of us do this? Pray for our daily bread. Because it's so hard to do that, isn't it, when we know that for most of us, we go home and there's food in the cupboard. Now, don't hear me wrong. Lots of those things are great blessings in life. I wouldn't want to live in any other kind of century. But there is a danger, isn't there? when the cupboard's full, when the bank balance is in the black, that we don't need God. But the irony is, for all those things, we don't find ourselves at rest, waiting patiently on the Lord. Uh, When David says, I do not concern myself, uh, the word there, concern, is quite an intense word. It means to pursue incessantly, obsess over, And you can imagine the kings doing that, can't you? Obsessing over their reputation, obsessing over their empire, obsessing over being seen as the most powerful king in the world. But there's something of that in our own hearts, isn't there? See, it's when we move from having confidence of our status in God that we work every hour to get our status at work. Or because we don't get our status and self-worth from the Lord who made us, we kind of find ourselves molding our personality to kind of get um, favor from other people. Or because we don't trust the Lord's provision, we find ourselves building up a nest egg and anxiously checking it every day. See, the, the great irony is that as we kind of jump categories, as we do find ourselves working to build up a status... We only find ourselves concerned about the next great thing, the next thing, obsessing over, proving ourselves, making a name for ourselves. But David knows there is only one king in this world, and it's not him. But more positively, what does it look like then to wait on the Lord? If that's not how to do it, what does it look like to do it? Well, secondly, we see here, the real reason we should or want to wait. See, what David does instead, we see in verse 2. He says this, But I have stilled and quietened my soul, 
like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. See, instead of wrestling to be God, David rests in God. Now, David's not saying here he becomes kind of childish or immature. Rather, he's saying that he's become childlike. He's become like a weaned child. Now, one of the first questions I asked myself as I was doing my prep on this is, why does David not say he's become like a baby? Because you expect a baby to be a kind of image of dependency, don't you? A baby is dependent on its mother for food, and it makes that dependency known to the mother normally at the most inconvenient hours, several times a day. But the thing is, a baby, when you think about it, hasn't learned to enjoy its mother for its own sake. The mother is there to just meet a simple impulse. But toddlers are different. Because once a baby's been weaned and once they've grown up, their primitive impulse goes into the background. And they now choose to enjoy their mother. It's been great God's timing on this because we've really seen this in our two-year-old toddler at the moment. He's really happy to be off playing on his own, normally getting beaten up by his siblings uh, in the other room. But every now and again, he will poke his little head round the door and come into where we're sitting. And he'll go over to mum, it's always mum, never me, <laughs> go to the sofa, pull himself up, his little body up, he will flop his legs onto her lap, put his head on her chest, and just sit there, quiet, resting, in comfort. So you see the difference? He doesn't need to go to mum to feel, to be fed, to be changed, to feel safe, but because he wants to. And David uses that picture of his relationship with God. He doesn't waste his energies trying to prove himself as this big cheese. Rather, he comes to God to enjoy him for his own sake. See, here's the reason we turn from our pride and we fight that kind of self-image Because there's actually a much better way as we lean on God. I love this line from Augustine. He says this, You have made us for yourselves, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. So helpful, isn't it? As we think, why do we kind of obsess over all these things? Why do we not come to the Lord? Now, I realize for some of us, this might be quite a painful image because some of us have not had this sort of nurture from a parent. And I guess some of us, if not all of us from time to time, doubt that we have this sort of kind of parental relationship with God himself. But as we look at this psalm through the lens of what Jesus has done, we know that we can be absolutely confident that we can have this sort of relationship with God. See, Jesus was the greater David who lived this psalm. And Jesus, despite his great majesty, did not set his heart on pride, did not lift up his eyes. We read in Philippians that he was in being a very nature God, but did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. 
Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. See, if there was one person, one king who could lift up his eyes, who could look down on others, could say that he ruled the world, well, it was Jesus. But he did not serve himself. He gave himself up for his people. He gave himself up to death on a cross. And through that very act of humility, as he lost his father's comfort, well, he gained comfort for us. Here's what Jesus says. In that day after my death, you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that you will ask, I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. The Father himself loves you. See, so many of us are out frantically pursuing the big goals to prove ourselves and missing the very fact that through Jesus we have this comfort already in him. So many of us find ourselves trying to save up for the next gadget, the next project, the next experience, and we find ourselves immensely restless rather than finding the rest that is already ours in the Lord Jesus. See, the wonderful thing about our toddler is that he never, ever has to prove himself. He never has to come to mum and says, well, before I sit on your lap... Do you know, I've been a very good boy this week. I've done this, I've done the washing. No, he wouldn't, he's a toddler. But you, do you know what I mean? He never has to come going, well, actually, I'm a big cheese. I've earned uh, several pounds this week. I know it's a ridiculous image, isn't it? But the toddler just comes because he's got absolute confidence that he can just come to her and enjoy her. See, here's how we wait. Not trying to prove something when hard but enjoying what we have in the Lord Jesus. Not wrestling to be God, but resting in God. But more practically then, what does this look like? How do we wait well? Well, the, uh, the Victorian preacher Spurgeon said this about the psalm. It is one of the shortest psalms to read, but one of the longest to learn. It's true, isn't it? Because this doesn't come natural to us. See, pride is the very thing that kind of rears its ugly head time and time again. We think we've battled it, and then it'll just pop up somewhere else. And it's not very easy because pride is a celebrated quality in our culture, isn't it? It's no longer a vice, it's a virtue. But if we're to wait on the Lord, well, actually, we need to set our hearts away from pride and on to the comfort that comes in God. How do we do that? Well, the psalm um, is actually very, very deep, as, as Spurgeon says, because it, on the one level, it sounds quite restful, doesn't it? It's almost like a lullaby, a nice, calm psalm. But actually, within this psalm, there's considerable action here. Um, our English doesn't kind of do justice to it, but that, that word concern, I mentioned this earlier, it's a real intense word. And the word for stilled or calmed in verse 2, again, it's got that same intensity. These are like the strongest versions of the verbs you can get in Hebrew. And so when David's saying, I do not concern myself, he's saying, I'm not obsessing over, I'm not aspiring, I'm not running. 
to get these things. But equally, when he says he stilled his heart, that's not a quick fix. That is a, an intense action. It, it's a word that comes from flattening out a rough terrain. You, you picture the building site with all the hardcore all over the place and, and flattening it out. That's the kind of image here. And so really, this psalm, on one level, it sounds nice and calm, but it's really a battlefield for David's soul. See, it's a battle, it's a fight, David says, to still and quieten my soul. So there's a sense in which David is kind of grabbing his life by the horns and making it conform to God. Now that, I don't know about you, makes it quite helpful for me because for two reasons. It, it, it helps me understand why it's so hard, why I haven't kind of won the battle on pride. Because here it describes something that's going on and on all the time, conforming the soul, uh, uh, calming the soul, and and resting in the Lord. But secondly, it also helps me because it shows that actually this is an active work. It's not sit back and let God. And it's not kind of we all become monks and just don't really worry about things. But actually, it's we do aspire, we do put in action, but what are we doing with with that action. It's it's not building up our own self-image, but rather conforming our soul to enjoy what we have in God. Now, of course, this is not a battle we fight on our own. We have the Holy Spirit in us if we're in the Lord Jesus, and He drives us to that goal. But it is a battle nonetheless. Let me give you some examples from my own life. I think sometimes when I'm feeling anxious, about things. I have to ask myself, why am I feeling anxious? And so often it is because my reputation's at stake or because I'm worried I'm not going to get this provision or, uh, or something else. And in that scenario, I have to say to myself, Rob, what are you feeling anxious about? Why are you feeling anxious? Why do you need to prove yourself? Why do you need to uh, live as if not everything came from the Lord? And then I seek to calm myself, thinking that through the Lord Jesus, I have a Father in heaven who loves me, who provides for me, and will never let me down. Or, I don't know if you ever find yourself in a situation where you feel completely overwhelmed uh, with the things to do in the week, and, and so often it's because I think I'm the kind of ruler of my week, and um, I uh, take my eyes off the Lord and His provision for me. And again, I have to take my soul, confess my pride to God, and say to myself that actually I've got a Father in heaven who welcomes me with open arms and provides for me. See, the the Christian life is one of waiting, and waiting is not easy, but here's how we do it not under our own strength, but through the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit's help, not seeking to build up our own status, not trying to pretend to be God, but instead enjoying what we have in God already through the Lord Jesus. I wonder as you head into this Advent season, is this something that's a kind of priority for us? Do we focus on all the things that are going to support us and build our self-interest? Or do we put our energies into coming to the Lord? 
Or perhaps we're overwhelmed with lots of things this Advent. All thing, lots of things around us are catching our attention. Again, do we see what we have through the Lord Jesus in God our Father? Let's pray. I've stilled and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. And so we pray, Father, that you would help us to grasp the depth of love that has been achieved in the Lord Jesus so that we may not frantically concern ourselves with things that prove our worth, but come to you, the one who gives us worth. Please help us to do that this Advent, we pray, in our own lives, as a church, as families. And please help us, Father, to find comfort this season in you. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.